0: Did you say, am I working today or did I work today, what did you ask?
1: Um, whichever one is the right one.
0: Am I working today? Yes, I'm working after this.
1: <laughs> you excited to spend your uh, free time with me? I just started, uh, <laughs> I just got off work, so.
0: Nice. Yeah. How was that? It was fine. It was fine? Yeah. No, uh, stories associated with your time? In the bookstore,
1: well, we gotta we gotta introduce ourselves first before we get into the oh. stories. All
0: right, I'm Hugh. Who are you?
1: Uh, my name is Hunter, and this is the wonderful broadca- broadcast.
0: Broadcast. Yeah. yeah,
1: the official Proud Boy podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, the podcast called proud of Day Plus. Well, I'm proud of my boy for making that joke, but this is Prodigy Plus. Yes, not a Proud Boy podcast. Uh, this is the penultimate episode in... Well, the um, regular series. In the regular series, yeah. There may be more regular series in future. Yeah, there could but, be some specials.
1: Uh, Both the, the Christmas and the holiday special should always be under the uh, Project A uh, Plus How do you say that word? Imprimature? Impre- <laughs> impre- what, what you know what I'm talking about. That's it. Imprimature? Yeah, just forget it. What's that? It's like a license or a, a brand that marks something as such. So.
0: Impremature? I'm yeah, pretty sure it, that's not the word.
1: Imprem. Impre- how do you say it? E- well, so I- how do you M- spell it? I M P R I M A T U R. Ah. Imprinter. Imprinter. Imprinter.
0: Ah, no, I didn't know no, that. No, it's in-
1: imprimatur. Imprimatur. An official imprimatur. license
0: issued by the Roman Catholic Church.
1: Yeah, but I'm easy to know what this says.
0: A person's authori- authoritative approval.
1: Yeah, yeah, but look at uh, B. Look, look imprimatur, uh, defi- yeah. Definition two, number B. Imprimatur. Appro- uh, wait, sorry. Sanction approval, a mark of approval, approval, approval or distinction. So yeah. imprint. Yeah. Imprimatur.
0: Imprimatur sounds fine to me. Great,
1: right, great. Thank, thank you, Wordmaster. I
0: mean, it's Latin, so it'd probably be imprimita, maybe. Anyway,
1: uh, thank you, Wordmaster. Um, oh
0: no, okay, sorry. The, there is a pronunciation here. Actually, there's three pronunciations here. Um, one of them is definitely just imprimator with a, a schwa at the end, which is just a short vowel sound, so imprimator Um, One at the end has an extra sound before the schwa. Maybe that that means imprimatur is also um, acceptable. So either way. Anyway, why did you use that word?
1: Uh, I don't know. I just like it. So um, uh, yeah, this will be our last. I learned something. Listeners have learned something. Shut up. This will be our last regular episode before we move on to our what um, special season of uh, celebration.
0: Yeah, a 10 episode build up to episode 100.
1: Yeah, our putting project A plus to bed. Uh, it'll wake up, uh, you know, every year, once or twice.
0: Yeah, it'll go into hibernation, not a rest home.
1: But we have an exciting new project to announce after that. <laughs> maybe. So I, I, think, I think, no, no, what, what, maybe? You already agreed to this. <laughs> All
0: right. <coughs> uh, what are we doing today? What's the podcast? Who are you? Project A+, Plus, I'm Hugh, and uh, we're doing Between the Lions. What's that? It's a 1977 film. It sounds like it's about cocaine, is that right? That's what I thought too, but um, I guess it's the subtext. Well, someone's probably using
1: cocaine.
0: Yeah. Um, but it's directed by Joan Silver. Silva. Mm, a Midwestender.
1: Yeah, let's uh, get into it, shall we? Cue your song. Let's do it. Ah,
0: between the lines, oh, between the lines.
1: All right, wow, that was a great song, Cue. You really outdid yourself this week.
0: Thank you. I'm really proud of that one. Spent days on it.
1: It's a long time for a song. <laughs> that was a little gross.
0: Well, that's what this film made, apparently.
1: What a burp!
0: A little gross.
1: No, I thought it, I heard it was pretty successful.
0: Yeah, made it made a little gross. A nah, little profit.
1: Fuck off. Fuck you.
0: Not hugely successful, just a little gross.
1: All right, so what is between the lines? Let's talk about it.
0: Uh, it's a film about some people who work at a newspaper, in the seventies. Let's get it to the specific. Let's get it to the specifics. The newspaper's called the Main Line. No, it's not. Mainline. Yeah, it's got it's got a full name. The Mainline. On.
1: No, it's it's got some other words in there.
0: The Back Bay Mainline.
1: There we go. See.
0: But they just call it the Mainline in the. Yeah, film. you're, you're sure. trying to hide the truth. But I feel like I'm part of the gang now I've seen this film. So I just call it The Mainline.
1: So, uh, Joan Micklin-Silver, who is the director of this, uh, worked at the Village Voice, apparently. Yes. Uh, Which uh, perhaps informed this. Uh, Fred Barron, who um, was one of the scriptwriters, also worked at two alt-weeklies called The Phoenix and The Real Paper. Um... And so this is kind of an ensemble comedy drama, let's say. Yep. About a group of rioters and one photographer who work at this Boston alternative. Boston. Um, huh? Boston. La- lobster. <laughs> <laughs> um, Boston alternative newspaper. Uh, sort of deals with their struggles, their fight against a new publisher doesn't really have a very strong narrative through line, let's say, but there are several strands to talk about, Uh, several clusters of characters who intersect with each other. Uh, So in kind of the main role, I guess there's kind of two main roles. We got John Hurd playing Harry, who's like the paper's ace reporter, who apparently once won a journalism award, but has since uh, sort of been, um, you know, just coasting. Uh, we got Lin- Lindsay Krause playing Abby, who's the paper's photographer, and who is romantically take old with all, old Harry. We get uh, Gwen Wells as Wara, who is another writer, um, who is in a relationship with uh, Michael, who's played by Stephen Collins, who's kind of the, uh, well, I guess he's not a, a current employee. I don't know if he ever, uh, did they talk about him working at the paper?
0: Yes. Okay, so he's a
1: former employee of the paper who is currently in the process of writing a book and is kind of pretentious in the way that uh, such things require. Uh, we get uh, Max, who's played by Jeff Goldblum, who's the resident movie critic. We get uh, David, who's played by Bruno Kirby, who's like the uh, wannabe, you know, like cock reporter. <laughs> I think that's how you would put it.
0: Yeah, I think, I think Goldblum is the music critic.
1: That's what I said, didn't I?
0: I thought you said movie critic.
1: Yeah, maybe I did, but I meant to say music.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, there's some other assorted characters in there. Michael yeah. J. Pollard, Joe Morton, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, this is sort of an ensemble drama. It just kind of follows, you know, these characters' lives as they uh, fall in and out of love and, um, you know, write, write stuff.
0: Um, wow, Steve Van Sant did the music for this movie. I did not know that. So... On Wikipedia, Michael Kamen and Steve Van Zandt are both credited. I believe in the credits of the film itself, I remember seeing Michael Kamen's name. Mm. But on IMDB, there's like no link to who did the music to this film for whatever reason.
1: <laughs> Weird. Well it's it's kind of an it's kind of an obscure film, so
0: but, I mean, it's on, it's on Wikipedia. It has, like, other production credits. There's no music credit for some reason. Yeah, that's very strange. Um, yeah, so I don't know about Steve Van Sant, but it's possible.
1: Anything's possible.
0: I guess I could go back and study the actual credits of the film again. But.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. You probably just pulled that up real quick, but we're not going to. We're not. you well, all that is that uh, is kind of a distraction to the real point here, which is what did you think of Between the Lines?
0: What did I think of between the lines? Yeah, uh, I enjoyed it actually. Hmm,
1: that's very interesting.
0: I, I think Silver strikes the the right tone with pretty much everything here. Hmm. I don't have much to critique about it. the The pacing, I enjoyed. It's kind of relaxed, but but focused where it needs to be. Uh, it doesn't feel sluggish, but it has like a nice, gentle pace. The humor I thought was was playful like in that ensemble style but with an undercurrent of mm. melancholy and cynicism um, that normally accompanies portrayals of the the news media and um, I think there was some genuine psychological depth in the portrayal of the characters and their relationships but above all like the main thing for me is that it was extremely watchable and dare, yeah, that's I, say, true. dare I say re-watchable like it feels like the type of film that i would expect to have a cult following i mean i don't know if it has any sort of following, really
1: um it clearly has it has some notoriety because it was on the criteria and shit all you know
0: yeah aside from that like yeah i'd never heard of it um but it feels like something you you would happily revisit as kind of comfort viewing which Mm. is not to downplay its depth but yeah it's,
1: it's kind of like a pizza movie in that way you know
0: Yeah, I mean, the only thing I I would critique about the film, um, to return to what we were just discussing, is probably the score. Mm. It felt a little 70s generic, and specifically TV 70s generic, and that detracted from it a little bit. Yeah, I also did not, I was also not a fan. But uh, otherwise, I found this very enjoyable. And if you're going to watch a film with a sex offender in it, it helps when they're playing an arsehole. (laughs) <laughs> it's true, and to his credit, Stephen Collins plays a convincing asshole. <laughs> he does. So yeah, I was I, I enjoyed this.
1: Before I reveal my feelings about the film, I actually have another question for you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, given that this is sort of based in part on Micklin Silver's experiences at the Village Voice, do you think uh, Goldberg has played uh, Robert Chris at all?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny <laughs> yeah. but no i'm sure there were other characters at the voice um, yeah yeah who were probably closer to that archetype but maybe maybe bits of um bits of chris gow it's the name of my <laughs> memoir too it is funny like i think this is one of uh goldblum's more substantial early roles i know he was in Nashville yeah. and a couple of other things um in more minor and, parts. Uh, death wish and death Wish is like a hoodlum or something um yep rapist <laughs> he's so fully formed here that either he's never developed as an actor <laughs> or he's just been like cast into the one role or he's perfected
1: his he's perfected his specific craft
0: yeah people just use him for what for the for energy goldblum. that he brings and and just you know say yeah. okay this character is jeff goldblum
1: yeah what well, is he done any like real transformative or, like is he done any real like um you know like like uh, transformative roles.
0: So I know that in the last few years, um, he was like in an indie movie where he played like a evil doctor guy who was traveling around the country euthanizing <laughs> people or something. But I don't know how successful that was. Well,
1: I think The Fly is kind of a little off the beaten path for him.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's more playing a character than than just playing yeah. his his normal type his
1: persona, which is often his uh, his thing.
0: But again, not that's not to detract from what he does here no or, he's, he's or, very entertaining he's very good here actually i think it's one of his better roles
1: yeah because he really fits what the tone of the movie is asking for you know yeah and it, his presence is like it's like a good piece in the rest of the film like it fits with the it helps like it, it's like perfect for the specific tone that nickel and silver is going for you know
0: it is and specifically with his character which doesn't really get much of an arc or anything no. like that. He's just like a periphery character who's, whose job is to be entertaining.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's just a, he's just a comic role, pretty much. Uh, I, lo- I-, I love the the, scenes that, the scene that ends the film when he's talking to the guy in the bar. <laughs> I thought that was so funny.
0: Yeah, that is great.
1: Uh, anyway, I guess I should tell you what I thought about this film, which is, yeah, I really enjoyed it a lot, too. Um, you know, I had pretty much no expectations going in. I was actually kind of like put off by like, the premise because sometimes I watch things like this or the seventies that are like, you know, just like, so, um, <laughs> enamored, it seems like about with this seventies as an era and I kind yeah. of like dislike it, but this that's not really what, what's going on here. I don't think it's very much like, um, it, it portrays this period as like a period of decline really in the paper. <laughs> yeah. Which I liked. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you that, that, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's a pretty like, um, fleet film, but it doesn't lack for, yeah. Like psychological acuity, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, all, all of the actions pretty much are, are, are good.
0: Yeah. I think silver's really, really good with, with actors and yeah. bringing out the repartee between the characters, like all the performances feel really lived in and authentic Yeah, uh, as well as the relationship between the characters.
1: It's especially funny for, like, people like, yeah, like, Stephen Collins and, like, John Hurd, you know, who you, I mean, like, Collins is, like, a nothing, besides, like, Star Trek, where he's just, like, a nothing character, you know? But, you know, like, you think of John Hurd, I mean, it's not like he had that many starring roles, but I think he's really fantastic at this.
0: I mean, I just think of Mr. Home Alone. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and so you, you you really don't expect, like, a performance like this to be in, uh, I, I don't know, I was just, I thought, I thought it was a, a really, I thought he was really good. So... <laughs> But again, like all the other all actors are pretty, pretty great. Um, yeah. It's not like, it's not like a laugh, it's not like a, like a you know, laugh a minute comedy by any means, but it's just like the yeah. right amount of comedy to be like entertaining. Um, and I, I just like the sort of like, you know, I like like the uh, documentary aspects of the film too.
0: Yeah, I thought it was well shot. Um, yeah. Like silver, silver, like utilizes quite an intimate and at times claustrophobic camera. Yeah, and I, I felt that really gave a, a, a convincing atmosphere because it's quite like an insular little world that they have.
1: Yeah, and just all the locations just seemed like totally perfect, you know.
0: <laughs>
1: and I feel so, I feel like it's this is like the first movie we've watched in such a long time that was actually like good, and I feel like kind of like <laughs> at a loss for words in a way. <laughs> uh,
0: it's funny that this led to apparently a short-lived sitcom. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: well I kind of yeah. see it. Uh, it's like, um, I mean, I guess this is a short short sitcom, but you watch like, you know, Alice doesn't live here anymore and you're like, how did they make a sitcom out of this?
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> I enjoyed the digs at the, uh, literature about like the death of the sixties and the counterculture and stuff. Oh yeah. That, that, that was really funny. He <laughs> was very cynical about that. Yeah. Like, like this, this, whatever,
1: whenever, uh, cause yeah, like, yeah, like I said, that's up top. Uh, Stephen Collins is like writing this book. Whenever he talks about his book, it's like so funny. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's about the death of the 60s. It's about our generation, you know? <laughs> and, and he
0: just like is such an asshole. But like, that's it's funny because that feels really fresh for like a 1970s film. Oh, yeah. Because um, that's the type of thing you'd expect to hear now, certainly.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: It, it's 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 quite potent in that respect.
1: Yeah, sort of like the scene where like, he refuses to give John Heard the name of his agent. <laughs> <laughs> also, I think I think Micklin Silver is really good at. I mean, this is evinced by me also watching *Chilly Seeds of Winter*. I feel like she's very good at like getting believable uh, like <laughs> male pathologies on screen. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, like John Heard, like suits of. Uh, collins his girlfriend right hmm. <laughs> and the scene where like he confronts her is like it's really like crazy like he seems like such a psycho yeah hmm. uh, that's good stuff um
0: yeah 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 i'd recommend this yeah I would, I would i would too i would too i i i could definitely see myself rewatching this as well
1: but it's just—it's just kind of got like a a pleasant aura, you know. Like it's hard to—it's hard to capture into words just how like I mean again, it's like not fleet or insubstantial, but it's just got a very—it's got good vibes, you know.
0: And it's interesting. It's got—it's got, it's got um, like it's that it has that rewatchability quality, but there is like a bleakness about it as well in terms of how some of the storylines end up.
1: Yeah, because like I mean, basically the 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 movie is the paper getting bought out, and then uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, John Hurd is like the, you know, the writer, like just, just like basically getting himself fired. Um,
0: yeah, there's an amazing scene. So yeah, when, when the new owner comes on board and he's introducing himself to the staff, John Hurd's being somewhat confrontational. Right. Yeah. And he's like, he's like reassuring everyone, the, the new owner. And then when everyone leaves, um, he says to the editor, "He's like, we got to get rid of this guy like immediately. We got to fire this guy." Such a great scene. Um, yeah, and the guy who plays the new owner is really good.
1: I mean, it felt really like uh, prescient in a way, you know. Yeah, I feel like that's like that's what happens to like media organizations online like all the time now, you know, like someone buys them and just like hollows them out. I mean, fuck, it happened to the Village Voice, you know.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, I thought that scene it was great, and yeah, like all the like random like character actors that she 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 gets is are also just fantastic. Yeah, well, I love the guy who came in who was like the artist. He just like started punching the walls, and that was so funny. <laughs> and Goldblum just matching him like beat for beat. <laughs> uh, I also love the scene where he was selling his like the the promo records that he got. I <laughs>
0: yeah, thought that was yeah. great.
1: Uh, and I, I think she has a really great eye, just for like the the setting that she's working into. You know, hmm. I feel like you can really like feel the texture of Boston at this time, um, which is not like a, 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 a like a, a place that's really captured in movies. Um, I guess it's like a slightly more you know documented thanks to the efforts of uh, Mark Wahlberg, but but I feel like you know you you. you I mean, most movies, I just feel like most movies that you watch from the '70s are either set in like you know New York or LA or you know the past. So it's 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 nice to see um, a non like big metropolis. I mean, Boston's like a really big city, but not 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 an especially um, cinematic one, you know. I, I just like I thought it was nice to to get that that added texture.
0: What's interesting as well, and I think another strength of this film, is that on some levels and like sort of based on the premise, it sounds like it would be like romanticising this workplace environment and this team working on this paper. But it really isn't. Like it despite the fact that it gets taken over and they they lose their jobs and stuff, what it was before, it doesn't seem like an especially like good environment yeah. or paper really so
1: and I, I, also, I also like that i also like that she doesn't sentimentalize like the work that they're doing at all you
0: know yeah yeah that's kind of what i mean yeah
1: because like you know like the the story because like uh, one of the thrives is john heard's working on this story that like basically just like comes off of the top of his head and just about like you know like prostitution and like sex workers in the city mm. and like that's <laughs> it doesn't seem very salacious it doesn't seem especially good at like getting this story either you no. know yeah, I I really enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, this was good. It, it makes me kind of depressed that um, she really didn't get like that many chances. I mean, she worked on a fair number of movies, but like, you know, um, after this and Chilling season of Winter, her career kind of like dried up a bit, at least in making you know theatrical release features.
0: Her biggest her biggest film was probably Crossing Delancey, I think. Yeah. But like it was a struggle. Like she, she, never got anything handed to her. Like the no. first few films she made were all independent. It was only, yeah. uh, only with the *Chilly Scenes of Winter* um, did she start working with studios really. Because like the, the first film she made, *Hester Street*. Yeah, it's so It's in black and white. A lot of it's in Yiddish.
1: <laughs> yeah, the dialogue's in Yiddish. And
0: it turned out to be quite successful for what it was. Yeah. But then she still had to independently finance stuff.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, but yeah she was starting to get studio interest at this point but yeah it didn't really materialize into yeah. you know, a prolific career or anything with within that system
1: which is a shame because i could see her really you know making another. i mean I, you know i don't want to like um sell the movies that she made um short by any means but i just feel like you know there's such a, a kind of specificity to her vision in this and she only sees a winner that i really would like to have seen in more movies you know what i mean like <laughs> Mm. Um, but that's unfortunately, you know. Um, I mean, I guess it's true now too. But you know, uh, women don't don't aren't allowed to have the same like career development as men men often do, which is mm-hmm.
0: which is a shame. Yeah. Uh, so I watched Chilly Scenes of Winter as well. So we could just pivot to talking about that. Not not in this, not necessarily in the same level of detail, but we can discuss it.
1: Yeah, let's just talk about it. Talk about it. Now. I don't. I don't even feel like I need to introduce it. Really? No. Um, uh, but I have to say, uh, if I, if I really enjoyed, um, <laughs> this might surprise you, but if I really enjoyed, uh, Between the Lines, I really loved Joey Seeds of Winter. Mm. I thought it was uh, absolutely fantastic. What did you think about it?
0: <laughs> yeah, I really liked it too. I was a little bit, um, uh, I was watching it in unideal circumstances in that there was like a party next door that was like blaring loud music. So, uh, it wasn't it wasn't the nicest viewing experience, but nonetheless, the film the film shone through. So it's an interesting one. So it was originally called Head Over Heels. The novel it's based on is called Chilly Scenes of Winter, which is the no- which is the title that that Silver wanted for the film. The studio insisted on Head Over Heels. The original version has a happy ending, as does the novel to some degree. Yeah. Um, and it was produced by three actors, one of whom was Griffin Dunn.
1: Who briefly appears.
0: And I believe it was their instigation that got it re-released under the title um, Chili Scenes of Winter with the engine, Which apparently
1: is ex- extremely successful after the re-release.
0: It was more successful, certainly. Um, well, they uh, according, to according to Wikipedia,
1: according to Wikipedia, it made like $40 million off of a, a $4 million budget or something like that. Which, I mean, these are, these 40 are figures... Yeah, these figures are unattributed, so who knows? But that's like super successful, you know.
0: Yeah, I didn't know it was that successful, but but yeah, they they basically just cut it, cut the film before the happy ending, <laughs> and uh, re released it with a different title.
1: I wonder if you could find the happy
0: ending on. Uh, I found the happy ending. It's like a uh, terrible like um, transfer of it, but for your reference, I'll send it to you. I think the the ending is is a is an interesting aspect of this film in, in both cases, mm. because like the whole film is about <laughs> kind of how much of an asshole. <laughs> He's like character. a psychopath. This is yeah. basically the, the, the,
1: um, you know, the witty, like shitty letterbox review. I thought up for this film was just like Midwest taxi driver. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Cause I, I read a, I read a bit of an interview with Bicklet Silver about her. Like, um, realizing that the happy ending was was bad. (laughs) doing to read specifically what she said? Yeah. I was determined not to violate the book, which I loved, Miss Silver recalled the other day. I wanted the general action to be the same, but my ending was too triumphant. People in the crew kept coming up to me when we were shooting to tell me, this is the story of my life. That's a little concerning. (laughs) When I asked them if it turned out like it did in the movie, they would always admit that it hadn't. So it seems like the uh, revised ending was like, at least in part, like her artistic decision. Uh, and that's from a, a article in the New York Times called How Chilly
0: Scenes Was Rescued by James Atlas. So, so at the time, obviously she had some doubts. Um, the producers had doubts about it, but they had no money to reshoot it. So, and I don't know if she was consulted about how the final version actually turned out. It sounds like the producers just cut it. <laughs> So, I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, because, like, I'm, I'm assuming they probably would have done something different if they had the funds to, like, reshoot an ending. Because as it stands, it just ends with him in the park, kind of abruptly. Which, I guess, works for some people. I don't mind the original happy ending, actually. Mm. I watched it. It's, it's, like, it has, like, a sort of cheesy tone to it. But because this is, like, there is a tension between this as, like, a studio romantic comedy... And the darkness of, like, his character and his actions and his obsessiveness throughout the film. Yeah. That, even with a happy ending, I don't think that, like, undoes what's what's led you up to that point. You know what I mean? And in a way, that could be even darker. <laughs> yeah. Should we talk about the plot of this film at all? Anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's, let's talk about it briefly. So, basic, basically, John Hurd plays this uh, civil servant who becomes obsessed with... Um, a woman who works in the records department, and they briefly date.
0: Yeah, band. but we know from the start of the film that it, it doesn't work out, and she's gone yeah. back home to her husband. Yeah, to her husband, and and that's how this film ends as well. Like the 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 rele- the second released version and the only well, version you can watch really. Well, it, does, it
1: doesn't end like that really. I mean, it's with them not together, but she breaks things off with her husband.
0: Yeah, and then it and then it just ends with him sad in the park. Yeah, in the um in the original version. He goes back home after the walk in the park. Um, someone's cooking and he thinks it's his roommate. He's like, Sam, what are you doing? <laughs> Who well, I loved in like,
1: this movie. <laughs>
0: yeah. And then it's like, it's, it's Laura, Mary Beth Hurt. And she's cooking that signature dessert that they um, had when they first met. Yeah, their chocolate thing. And, um, and then he discovers that she'd always kept his key despite mm. them having, you know, Um, broken up with one another, she still had the key to his apartment and he takes that as like a positive sign. And and then they're in, in the car at the end and they're kind of chatting playfully to one another. They express their love. And he asks what the recipe is. And she starts talking about the fact that you have to separate the eggs. And he goes, oh, no, eggs should never be separated. In fact, no one should ever be separated. (laughs) <laughs> and we're just a couple of eggs. And that's like the last line of the film. Um, which I kind of think works in a funny way with the rest of the film. <laughs> uh-huh. Especially because like his obsessiveness is obviously a huge part of his issues. And yeah, that's and that's and also cool.
1: his like um pushing away his pathology through like just being a choking asshole. <laughs>
0: So it kind of it kind of fits if that if it was like played differently as playful as it is the fact that he's talking about like no one should ever be separated you should always be with me is kind of funny I think I'm yeah. not sure if that was necessarily what Silver was going for could well have been I wouldn't be surprised but yeah it's worth it's worth a watch if you can find that original ending
1: yeah I I I thought it was a really uh, tremendous film. And I think John Hurt gives an absolutely incredible performance in this. Like, you know, it's such a tricky, like, role to hit, I think. but um, I think he nails, like, all the, like, the weird total balance that the character needs, like, you know.
0: Yeah, he's really good in this. And I feel, I feel like he's great at playing, like, Hugover, too, you know, like. <laughs> and not to be reductionist and just compare this to a, a film by another female director in the mm. 70s. But when you were talking about, um, how good she is with male pathology and, um, with this film in particular, uh, it, it did make me think of, um, actually watching the film made me think of the heartbreak kid, uh, um, Elaine May's film, um, <laughs> which is similarly eviscerating and enjoyable and anchored by an amazing performance by Charles Grodin.
1: What I do like about this film is it's not, it, 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 it like... I mean, obviously it doesn't uh, sentimentalize his character at all, you know, Hmm. but I still think it invites you to empathize with him to some degree, you know, it does. Yeah. Which I think is uh, better than if it was just pure, like, you know, oh, look at this, you know, stupid dumb man. (laughs) Not to, um, I don't know, get out of a rant, but I, I like the way, like, you know, it doesn't like let him off the hook by any, any means, but. Because I mean, he just does some, like really terrible things in this movie. Like there's one part where he, like threatens to rape. Um, yeah, that's right. I that. almost
0: forgot about that. But that line was like that's astonishing that that made. Yeah. It just just
1: the way he says it too is like so creepy and crazy. Yeah. Like,
0: <laughs> and I think that's that. Yeah, that's like that's like a perfect illustration of why you could argue that the original ending really works for the film. Like a film that ends like so like goofily and traditionally like that. That also has the same character earlier in the film, yeah. jokingly or chillingly jokingly saying that he's going to rape um, I mean, <laughs> his romantic interest. Or the
1: scene where he says he's going to, like, p- p- Peter, beat her like, up as it's, well, yeah.
0: Yeah, like,
1: I, I just like that way that, you know, like, this is like, it feels like you're seeing, like, him, his, like, true self to some degree... <laughs> Just like yeah. this, like under this, like mask of just like you know, being this like jokey, sad sack, like I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting film. Yeah, um, it's not available like on. It, did it even get a physical media release?
1: Yeah, Twi- Twilight had put it out on Blu-ray, but they folded. So oh,
0: I did get a Blu-ray release. Yeah, nice.
1: that's that's how I'm gonna watch it. Ten eighty, a beautiful ten eighty p be copy. Yeah, yeah. I guess I could have shared with you, but I wanted you to suffer. So.
0: It was it was uh, it was watchable quality. Yeah, I thought the film I thought the, soap, I thought the was great. Um, good stuff. Yeah. Speaking of like low quality YouTube transfers, you really have to watch the Heartbreak Kid. Oh yeah, I, I need to watch
1: it. I just, I just I just keep finding like it's like one of those films that I'm holding out for someone to do like a really good edition of you know.
0: Yeah, I snap that up because it's yeah, it's great.
1: So I feel like Criterion or someone has to be working on it. Like, it's a pretty, like, beloved film, you know? Um, But I know there's, like, weird rights issues or something.
0: Yes, it's been, yeah, it's been really hard to access for a long time.
1: Okay, yeah. Well, do we have anything else to say about the career of uh, uh, Miss Pickled Silver? I think I'll, I think I'm, uh, Crossy Delancey didn't seem as immediately interesting to me as these two were, but. Uh, I think I'd like to watch that at some point.
0: I'd, I'd happily watch that. Yeah, I was looking it up just earlier to see if it was available anywhere. But it didn't seem to be.
1: Um, so I'll, I'll have to investigate that. Um, and I've heard that her... I, mean, I I know some of her other films by reputation because like Loverboy is kind of an infamous film where like Patrick Dipsy is like a teenage prostitute, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like fucks older women. So uh, I don't know if I'll watch that, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see.
0: I'm interested in seeing Hester Street, actually.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. Because
0: Carol Kane's in that.
1: Right. Uh, Shall we move on to uh, Drunken Mastermind?
0: Let's do it. Okay, first question. Between the Lines is an ensemble piece featuring a number of young, up-and-coming actors. How many mm-hmm. of the actors portraying the core newsroom staff are now dead?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see, John Hurt is dead. Mm-hmm. Lindsay Krause is not.
0: You can't look at the cast list when you're answering this. I'm not yourself. I'm at it. You have to
1: think. Um, the other woman is dead because I w- w- was looking at a Wikipedia page earlier, and I know that. I mean, who else do you consider the core newsroom staff? Obviously, Goldblum is dead. I'm going to go with three.
0: Very close. It's four.
1: Yeah, uh,
0: who else is dead? So Gwen Wells is dead. John Hart is dead. Michael J. Pollard is dead, and Bruno Kirby is dead.
1: Bruno Kirby's dead. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. That's too bad. I, I mean, I read down that he's dead. Let me just double check. Yeah. Was an American actor. Yeah. All right. Take a drink.
1: Oh, will do. We've got some water here. <laughs> okay. John Hurd, who plays the character of Harry in Between the Lines, had, ha- has had quite a storied career, including starring in the first two Home Alones and having a role in Scorsese's After Hours. He also has had, and I say had here because unfortunately Mr. Hurd passed away in 2017, quite the interesting side career as a conspiracy theorist. Can you tell me which which conspiracy John Hurd was especially interested in?
0: (laughs) I did not know this. I did not come across this. Um, um, I mean, it feels too rich that he would be a flat earther. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like he died before that. Really, like to go. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. Like the lizard people running the world conspiracy.
1: And unfortunately, he is a nine eleven truther or wasn't nine eleven truther. Yeah, I should have guessed so. that. <laughs> take a drink. That's it's kind of an easy one. What's amazing, though, is if you go on his Wikipedia page, the picture mm. they have is him talking at a 9-11 truth event. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really bad. Wow. Wow. Yeah. wow.
0: That ties in well with one of my questions, fortunately. <laughs> mm. Let's hear it. Uh, it's not my next question. I'll, I'll, I'll save it for last. My next question is this. Mary Lou Henna. Who plays Danielle? Appeared as a guest on episode four hundred and fourteen of which comedy podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I what can the give fu- you the year as a clue. Oh, okay. In two thousand eighteen, I think it was.
1: Uh, WTF?
0: Uh, no, it was my brother, my brother, and me. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's on the Wikipedia page like twice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'll take you a drink.
0: That's why I thought it was a fair question.
1: You know, we really should have done a, a like, ruddy tally of, of the trivia.
0: <laughs> we could go back. Well, what, cause we have to listen to the episodes where we'll, we'll be able to work it out.
1: That's true. What should the winner get?
0: Thousands of dollars.
1: <laughs> they get exclusive access to the Patreon.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, go.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> That's what should, uh, uh, well, that did not come out right. Which acclaimed playwright was Lindsay Krause, who
0: plays Abby, married to? David Mehmet. Hmm, you're right. Because uh, they are the parents of Zoja Mehmet.
1: Yeah, it's true.
0: Got one? Yes. All right. <clears throat> you ready for my last question? Mm hmm. Name any film that John Heard made in the 2000s. Oh, God. Not just that decade, is in anything from 2000 onwards. Maybe any film. <laughs> any film. And he made a lot of them. I
1: was, I was looking at his IED page like five seconds ago. Um, God damn it. Um, I can't even go one. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know Evan Almighty. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, I have to check. But probably not. <laughs> no. <laughs> so let let me see what the answers you could have given. Right, because I guess I. To be fair. Okay, you ready for it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can you can you can chime in if you identify any of these films. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Animal Factory. <laughs> the Photographer. Pollock. <laughs> the Boys of Sunset Ridge. Oh oh, Dying the, on the uh, Edge.
1: That's that Othello movie. Researching Rainbow Burke. Yes it
0: is the Othello movie. That, uh,
1: what's What's his name? The the guys in the Car Brothers movies?
0: Uh Tim Blake Nelson. That's it, yeah. Uh, Dying on the Edge, researching Raymond Burke. Fair play. Mind the gap.
1: Fair play. The uh, was it the one with uh, Robert Redford?
0: Okay, never mind. Mind the gap. Uh, White chicks. Oh, oh, white chicks. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) My tiny (laughs) universe. Under the city. The chum scrubber. Um, Edison. The deal. Track. Sweetland. Steel City. Gamers. The movie. The Guardian, Dead Lenny. Hey, I, but, could, go but, wait, wait, I could go on. Wait, wait, Freakins, The Guardian. Uh, no.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Well, see, that's the last? I, I mean, I actually recognize some of these. Like a, a sold on Wall Street, Rudder Rudder with a Ben Affleck. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, that's it. <laughs> well, that's too bad. Oh, he's in the tail. People like that.
0: Posthumously, yeah.
1: Well, I, uh, I failed that. All right. Are you ready for my last question?
0: hmm Stephen Collins. <laughs> okay. Um,
1: 1972,
0: <coughs> no, 1980. Nope. That was not the question I was asking you. Okay.
1: okay. Stephen Collins, who plays Michael, essentially committed career in social suicide when he admitted in 2014... And he had sexual relations with at least three underage girls. Can you tell me which Farley Brothers movie served as his final outing in the world of feature film? Um, (laughs) Would it help you if I gave the year? Should I I be uh, merciful?
0: um, I don't need the year. I'm just going to guess. Let's hear it. Uh, Shallow How.
1: No. Okay. The movie came out in 2012.
0: Oh, movie 43?
1: No. There was only one Farley Brothers movie, so it was only one of the Farley Brothers' movie. Uh, The correct answer is The Three Stooges.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, okay, it was way later than I thought then.
1: So, sorry, buddy. Is that all the questions? Did you start?
0: Yeah, that's all the questions. Hmm. They look pretty
1: good around. Mm. All right, well, uh, all I got left is bonus features.
0: Yep. Let's get to it. Bonus features, bonus. Bonus features. Bonus features, bonus. Bonus features. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, I watched the chilly scenes of winter. (coughs) What's that? (laughs) Or rather, chilly scenes of winter. Without the the.
1: Man, I have fucking uh, powder fingers stuck in my head. The only thing that's going to lose these this grip on which my song. On myself. Powderfinger.
0: Yeah, which song? That Passenger? Song. Um, that other hit they had?
1: Uh, Powderfinger. Yeah, which song? Powderfinger. Yeah, which song? Fa- Powderfinger.
0: Yeah, which song by Powderfinger? Powderfinger. This is a great new Who's On First routine for the uh, 21st century.
1: <laughs> Powderfinger. You know, actually do you think i had heard of that band really yeah i don't know why
0: i don't think they were successful abroad
1: i was like their big hit passenger it definitely it definitely sounded familiar before i knew it was a neil young song
0: they could well have had i mean it's a it's a a known term for a firearm like a native american term for a firearm no i'd never i'd
1: never heard it before in that context, like, what was their hit? Just, just why Passenger. is why didn't you just say what their hit it was?
0: Passenger. No, no, no! Come on. That was their hit. Do they have like a greatest hits album? They will in Australia, definitely.
1: The best of Powderfinger.
0: Here we go. They had a few hit. They were pretty successful in Australia. But I believe Passenger was their biggest.
1: Passenger isn't even on this fucking list, dude. Hmm. Passenger isn't even on their best of album. Of course it is.
0: No, it's not. Of course it is. It's not. This <laughs> is not called Passenger. Oh, I mean, maybe this is
1: two thousand. Oh, it says best of two thousand one through two thousand. Yeah.
0: That's why. Fucker. <laughs> Ah, oh, here we go. What, what they've warranted two best songs, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> despite having only released like five albums,
1: I'm just gonna listen to it real quick and see if I recognize it.
0: Anyway, what do you want to do? I watched uh, "Chilly Sings of Winter." You heard of that? What's that? Uh, it's a Mary uh, McLean Silver joint. What film? John Heard. Heard of him? No, I don't know who that is. Okay. The guy from Home Alone. The kid. What's that? Uh, It's a film about this kid who gets left home alone.
1: Anyway, uh, do you want me to tell you what I watched? Yes, please. Let's see. Okay, Okay. I watched uh, The Chilly Seeds of Winter. Yeah. And that is it, yes. besides other films that I also, that I also watched.
0: <laughs> Damn it.
1: So I started my week off uh, with a treat, and that treat was called City of the Living Dead, which is a Lucio Fulci film from 1980. Kind of a hard film to describe, but basically it's about this small town called Dunwich and a nod to, you know, good old HP, where a priest hangs himself and then unleashes a great evil upon the uh, citizens. Um, it's not a very coherent film. Um, it has this bizarre subplot where a medium from New York and a newspaper reporter are sort of driving through the country trying to find Dunwich, and then they do. And then it's like, why, why do we, why we waste so much time on this? Uh, but it has some absolutely bizarre uh, gore effects. There's this uh incredible hypnotizing scene. Where a young woman uh, first bleeds out of her eyes and then uh, vomits up all of her organs that goes on for like five minutes. Uh, it's extremely gross, but um, I don't know. Uh, definitely uh, worth a watch. Um, this is my first full and I uh, anticipate uh, what divine pleasures await me further as I further get into the catalog. I also uh, watched um, another movie about uh, someone uh, throwing up all of their organs. Except for this time, it's a society. And the organs in question are called the Ambersons. And the film is called The Magnificent Ambersons. Uh-huh. Have you heard of this?
0: Is this the first time you've seen it?
1: It is the first time I've seen it. Wow. Have you seen it? Yeah. And I, uh, you know what? I really liked it. Obviously, you know, it's... Uh, uh, having read a lot about Orson Welles, you hear uh, all sorts of tales about how it was like, you know, mutilated to the head to the city, the studios, which it clearly was. But what is there is still quite a remarkable film, I think. Um, that nails this very tricky, melancholic tone, uh, has some absolutely wonderful shots, um, and uh, you know, it's a great tragedy um, that they that archaO butchered it like they did. But uh, you know, it's still good that we're able to get. It in any form at all, I think, and uh, I think it's really uh, moving. And uh, and speaking of films that had a tacked on studio Indies, Mm -hmm. the Indie to to make this is like so funny. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's like basically the whole film is this very like melancholic, like you're watching the um, passage of time as sort of uh, analogized to the uh, fall of this aristocratic family. Um, and then at the end of the movie, it's like, <laughs> you know, oh, he's got into a car accident, but everything's going to be all right. <laughs> and it just <laughs> ends with, like, Joseph Cotton and Agnes Moorhead just walking down a hallway. And it's like, wait, mm. that's it. <laughs> uh, it's really funny. <laughs> both both Joseph Cotton and Agnes Moorhead, who are both, like, really terrific in this film, uh, seem like they've been, like, <laughs> lobotomized. <laughs> and they're just sort of like, ah, yes, everything is going to be good. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it's a um, really true, fantastic film. And, uh, you know, it's season likely now, but uh, hopefully uh, someday someone discovers a uh, print of the uh, of Wells' original cut of it. Because it uh, sounds really spectacular. And, you know, obviously what you get here is extremely great. So that's the Magnificent Ambersons. That's all I watched. Cool. Cool. Uh, what, are we, what are we talking about? Next week?
0: Outside of the Wire, maybe.
1: Oh, that's a terrible name for a movie.
0: Outside the Wire, sorry. Okay, and that's such a bad name. But probably going to be a great movie. It should be about, I believe it's a biopic. I'll say this again. Isn't <laughs> it a biopic about Dominic West's career?
1: Um, no, I think it's a... Uh, Since
0: 2008. Eight. I think it's
1: a, uh, I think it's a, I think it's a, um, sort of, uh, uh, you know, kind of, a between the lines esque, um, um, you know, sort of, uh, uh what is it like ensemble piece about the uh, behind the scenes at the, uh, uh, the goings on around, uh, the music magazine, the wire. So huh. that's, that's great.
0: You know, what was great about my joke. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably <that>, well, whereas <laughs> I've over my words for about <laughs> twenty minutes. <laughs> and you also told like a like a variation on the same joke, really. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, wire
1: the the British band,
0: but it's not the wire. It's just wire, so it doesn't make sense.
1: <laughs> Whatever.
0: Uh, the the good thing about my joke is that I was just guessing about when the wire ended. And then I was looking it up, and I was going to make a correction. But I got the, the year right. It did end in 2008. So good work, me. <laughs> well, nice.
1: I wonder if you can find videos of
0: John heard talking about 9-11. I'm sure you can. There was definitely a stills cameraman there. Surely someone recorded some audio. At least. Um, let's have a look. John heard. Nine eleven. Hmm. Yeah. The f- nothing's coming up. That's that's a real shame. Was that on his Wikipedia page? Yeah, it is.
1: Well, luckily Wikipedia linked to a um, video, so. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like he's on coke
0: This is on my uh, This is going to be great for my (laughs) YouTube recommendation
1: (laughs) Oh my god He's basically doing stand up at the beginning
0: Uh, anyway, we should wrap this episode up. <laughs> Goodbye. No, no, we got to watch this video. <laughs> I stopped watching it.
1: Okay, well, that's been Project A+. We'll see you next week.
0: Goodbye, gang.